Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. Hey guys, welcome back to Medicus. Today we're on to our fourth year series again, talking about orthopedic surgery with Brooke Dickens who is a recently minted MD from Loyola Street School of Medicine. Hey, Brooke, so good to have you here. So can you introduce yourself to our listeners and give more background about maybe your journey to medicine as well as where you are now? Hi, Rasa. Thanks for inviting me on to speak on the podcast. So my name is Brooke. I am originally from Bakersfield, California, which is in Central California. I grew up there pretty much my whole life. No one in my family is in medicine, or at least is a physician. My father is a dentist, so some healthcare, but not quite the same. Also a doctor. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Also doctor, but doctor of dental medicine and not something I wanted to do. (laughs) But I grew up playing lots of sports. I grew up really liking school. I had a hunch that maybe I'd want to be a doctor someday because I thought they're smart people. They get to serve patients. What they do seems cool. So I was pretty dedicated to my studies and also thought I might want to play soccer in college. And so that led me to actually going to Harvard where I walked onto the soccer team, played all four years. It was honestly a huge struggle being a D1 college athlete and being pre-med. I can only imagine. It was a struggle. I was humbled in a lot of ways that were very painful, but I think also very important and very necessary to help me understand what my motivations are and who I am as a person. And it's really important to be humbled in your life and to know that you need support and you need help. And so I was fortunate to learn that in college. And I think that's what helped me throughout my medical school journey. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I graduated college, I studied neurobiology and I wasn't sure if I even wanted to go to med school. I was super burnt out after those four difficult years. And I thought perhaps I'd go into policy and work Mm -hmm. from that angle of medicine. So I worked in DC for a little bit and that was during the 2016 election year. And it was a tumultuous time for politics and society in general. And I said, nope, this is probably not for me. I think I actually want to work with patients and I actually want to go to medical school. So I moved back home. This was during my first year off. I ended up taking two, but I moved Mm -hmm. back home. I studied for my MCAT. I did some research. Then I started my application for med school. And then I became a substitute teacher and a soccer coach and, you know, sort of lived it up a little bit before eventually ending up at Loyola, where I just graduated from, which is crazy. The four years kind of flew by. That's super awesome. And where did you match to? So I matched orthopedic surgery at Wake Forest University, which is in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So take us through your decision to pursue orthopedic surgery. What kind of drew you into the specialty? Yeah, I think that growing up as an athletic person doing a lot of sports, sports medicine was sort of a big part of my journey. I was, you know, often working with athletic trainers or physical therapists with my own injuries or seeing teammates, sadly, tear their ACLs or break bones. Mm -hmm. And so 
you hear a lot about them going to the doctor and needing to go to the doctor. And it was often a sports medicine doctor. And to me, a sports medicine doctor meant orthopedic surgeon. But as I came to find out in medical school, that's not true. You can be a sports medicine doctor from the primary care side too. And so I think I was drawn to medicine because of the sports medicine aspect. But then I learned it's not just surgery. And so knowing that I joined the sports medicine interest group and I joined the orthopedic surgery interest group, and those were really great ways for me to learn more about those specialties. And I started shadowing Dr. Evans at Loyola, who's a sports medicine orthopedic surgeon. And I really enjoyed my experiences in his clinic. I loved working with him. I started shadowing Dr. Jones, who leads the sports medicine interest group. He's a family med physician. And so I kind of came to the point where people told me, okay, you need to decide if you like surgery or if you'd be happy doing something non-surgical. And I think that's really one of the key turning points in figuring out a specialty for a lot of medical students. And Mm -hmm. I didn't really start exploring surgery until third year when I got to do my rotation. And unfortunately, at Loyola, you're not able to do an orthopedic surgery rotation as part of your surgery clerkship. So I kind of had to initiate that on my own, which I recommend students do, that they initiate looking into surgical subspecialties on their own. And that's when I realized, you know, I like being in the operating room. I like the surgeries. They're really cool. The patient population's awesome. They get better. Uh, (laughs) I think this is something I can see myself doing. I'm going to go for it. And I did. And here I am. I'm going to do it. (laughs) That's awesome. I think that you make a really good point about exploring the subspecialties of surgery because surgery is just like, you know, if you think of internal medicine, internal medicine has all of these subspecialties. It's such a vast overarching topic and each specialty is very different. And so you could have a very different experience if you have a mandatory rotation on, let's say, thoracic surgery versus you trying out orthopedic surgery, right? So yeah, like getting to explore that and initiating, like you said, you had to initiate your own rotation, I think is really important for your exploration. So what are some things that you may dislike about this field? That's a difficult question. I think everyone says, oh, I want to pursue my passion and I have my dream job. And, you know, you have these idealistic views of what it's like. But at the end of the day, there are things all of us have to do in our daily life and in our careers that we don't like. Yeah. And that's just part of it. You have to take the bad with the good. And so partly in answering that question, I don't know yet. I don't even know enough because I haven't done it. Sure. I've explored it as a med student, but I haven't gone through the experience of residency. And so I feel like I'm still too naive to even give an honest answer to what I don't like. But at this time, I can say I am wholly confused by the pelvis and all the surgeries (laughs) that revolve around pelvic anatomy. Uh, I've been in a few and it's so confusing. And so I don't know, maybe it'll click someday. And I hope it does, Yeah, Uh, but I I don't know if I like the pelvis. I also think that, you know, it's intimidating going into a field that is surgery because of the long hours and the physical aspect of being on your feet and potentially lack of sleep and, you know, a longer residency, taking a fall, whatever it is. And I can't say it's that I don't like that aspect. I haven't lived it, but I can say I'm intimidated by it. And I do have fears and doubts about how it's going to affect my personal life or what it's going to look like for me and some of the sacrifices I have to make. But while I'm intimidated by that, I'm also excited by it. I like a challenge and I am, I don't know if I'm a thrill seeker, but I appreciate 
being put to the test and trying to rise above, you know, whatever obstacles in my way. Absolutely. And I mean, you survived Harvard as a D1 varsity player, you know, so I think you can do this too. (laughs) I I hope so. I think mental stamina is something that you don't get taught by studying Mm -hmm. a textbook. It's something that you learn through life experiences and you learn from being humbled and you learn from, you know, whatever it is that challenges you in your life. And so I think that that's something I've been able to build. And it's something I hope I continue to be able to build as the challenges get even harder. Yeah, for sure. So I know you haven't been part of the field for long, only as a medical student yet. But are there any stereotypes that you've come across either, you know, in your conversations or things that you have seen that are true or may not be true for orthopedic surgery? Sure, I think orthopedics is an easy one to sort of peg the stereotypes because it's often the one that a lot of jokes get made about. You know, historically, it's been the athletes, the jocks, the big, strong, tall, white men. And I think there's some truth to that. Stereotypes are often based on a little bit of truth. But I know the field of orthopedics has struggled and still is somewhat struggling to be wholly inclusive and diverse of people of different genders, people of different ethnic backgrounds, whatever it is. It's the specialty in surgery that has the lowest percentage of women in it. Even neurosurgery has more women than orthopedic surgery. (laughs) So it's a stereotype that's built on some fact, but I think that the American Academy of Orthopedics and all sorts of different societies have done a good job of identifying this as an issue and, and working to bridge the gaps. And I think that you'll see an unprecedented number of women entering into orthopedic surgery residencies. You'll see even more applicants. You'll see more opportunities. And the most important thing is you'll see more women in leadership positions currently in the field. The current president of the academy is the first woman to ever hold the position. So there's been a lot of strides that have been made, but it's certainly still a field that can sometimes feel like an old boys club. But that comes with the territory a little bit. And, you know, I think changing the culture of surgery is something that all the surgical subspecialties are trying to work on. So it's not just orthopedics, but it's moving in the right direction, although it's been a little slower than perhaps a lot of people want it to be. But that's why people like me are entering it. We're not we're not intimidated. We're, We're willing to approach the challenge and sort of work to make it better. You're here to play. <laughs> Absolutely. So getting into the meat of the conversation for the rising M4s force who are looking to apply to orthopedic surgery, what did you do to make yourself a competitive applicant? Yeah, it's definitely a competitive field. And I think that most people know that perhaps that even discourages some people from even thinking about trying to pursue it because, you know, they wonder am I good enough? And I certainly struggled with that. I think all of us sort of have this imposter syndrome of, can we do it? Are we good enough? Do we belong here? And I think that it's important to recognize that in yourself, but at the same time, you have to understand that you can't dwell on those thoughts because that's only distracting you from your passion and achieving that passion. And so for me, what I did early was identify, okay, this is an interest I have. It's a genuine interest. So I started trying to join the interest groups on campus. I started trying to meet students who were above me and also interested in the specialty. I tried to shadow some faculty members and sort of pick their brain about what they love about the specialty, really honing in on, is this something that I like? But at the same time, creating relationships. 
I think the most important thing, especially now with everything becoming pass fail and Mm -hmm. it's harder and harder to differentiate phenomenal candidates is who's in your corner and who's going to go to bat for you. And those are some of the intangible things that aren't necessarily found on paper. Sure, they're in a letter of rec, but at the end of the day, I think there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes. And it's a small world. People in subspecialties, they know each other. Mm -hmm. And so if you have someone who really knows you and can go to bat for you and defend you and say, yes, this is a person that I would love to stand next to in a seven-hour pelvis surgery, even when it's tough, I would like to stand (laughs) next to them. And they're a cool person. They're enjoyable. They're a hard worker, whatever it is. You want somebody who can say that about you. Mm -hmm. So creating relationships is key. And then Research is something that helps distinguish you as an applicant in a pass-fail world because they can't look to your grades. They can't look to other things. And I'm not somebody who's historically loved research. I look at you, Rasa, in an MD, PhD program, and I say, wow, I don't know why you do that. (laughs) You know, sometimes I ask myself the same thing. I I can't imagine being in a lab. It's just not who I am. Mm -hmm. But I think there's all sorts of research opportunities. There's clinical research projects. There's chart reviews. There's stuff that doesn't require being in a lab. And so sort of finding some avenues of, okay, even if research isn't my thing, there are some patient populations I'm interested in, and there are types of studies that I can get behind and do. Even if it's not because I want to do it forever, it's a one, create relationships, two, learn about the subspecialty, and three, maybe get a publication out of it. Mm -hmm. And then obviously to be competitive, you want to try to do well in school, but that doesn't need to be said. I wasn't AOA. I wasn't top of my class. It wasn't like a prerequisite. I think just trying to do your best every day and showing up and having a good attitude is a lot of the battle. 100%. So I think that kind of leads into my next question about rotations, because at Stritch, first two years are pass fail, but in rotations, you do get graded. And you have both shelf exams as well as evaluations from your preceptors. So how do you stand out on rotations and make a good impression? I think that standing out is challenging. You know, we all want to stand out. But Sometimes not standing out is fine too. And I think sometimes students confuse that. They think that in order to get a good grade in a clinical rotation or to get a good evaluation, they really have to go above and beyond and do the most. And as medical students, we're motivated people. We know how to work hard. We got here. It's really hard to get here and get this far. So sometimes people take it to the next level and it's a little too much. And I think that can end up hurting people. So some of the things that are just I wouldn't say easy to do, but simple are show up on time or early, bring a positive attitude and be kind to people. Yeah. You know, my motto was, okay, I know I'm not the smartest person on my team. I'm the lowest one on the totem pole here. Mm -hmm. But what I can contribute to the room is my positive energy, my joy, my kindness and my attitude. And so if I can be at 100% or even 90% at my best with those things, then it's going to be a good day and I can contribute to my team. And it seems so simple to say that, but you get bogged down with the patients, you get bogged down with the studying after you get home from rotations, you get bogged down by life. We had our rotations during a pandemic. There's a lot going on. (laughs) 
but you just have to take a moment and refocus and realize I can contribute my attitude and my effort today. And if I can bring that, then I think it's going to be okay. But yeah, you know, you also want to study and try to contribute and ask questions and be interested in your patients, all those things. But I feel like that doesn't need to be said. People know that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Sometimes you would be amazed by what people don't know. (laughs) That is true. You know, I've done a few of these interviews now over the last couple of months with our classmates. And I think you echo a lot of what was said. So some common themes across specialties, you know, just being kind, being present, showing up. I think that will carry you on whatever specialty you decide to pursue. So that's great to hear that, you know, it's kind of the same for orthopedic surgery. And I mean, it pays to be a little bit extra prepared sometimes if there's a case that you're going to, you know, studying some of the relevant anatomy or having a couple questions that are in your back pocket to ask or outside of the surgery, knowing information about the patient, why they're there, what their name is, what their allergies are, stuff like that. Those extra details can sometimes earn you some brownie points and ultimately are going to make you a better physician in the future anyway. So you should right. care about your patients. That's what we're here for, right? Yep. And so how did you structure your fourth year? Because I know that, like you said, orthopedic surgery is not one of your core rotations. Did you have to do electives or how did you go about doing that? So during third year, our curriculum offers you a month of elective time that Mm -hmm. you can use for something like exploring orthopedic surgery. And I actually decided not to do that. I decided to do a research month because Mm -hmm. I identified that perhaps research was a weakness of mine on my application and I needed to bolster that part a little bit. And it also allowed me some flexible time to sort of pop into cases and also work on projects. So that was really setting me up during fourth year to identify, okay, yes, I do want to apply orthopedic surgery. And the way our curriculum is set up is that we don't start our fourth year until July. So I chose to do my Loyola home orthopedic rotation in July Mm -hmm. because I wanted to... I don't want to say get it out of the way, but that just made the most sense. Sure. And then I also knew that I would need some letters of rec for my application that would be due in September. And so I had identified a few faculty members from research projects or shadowing that I could have letters from, but I also needed a couple more. So having my rotation in July sort of allowed me to bolster those relationships and sort of get going on that front. I took my step two in August and then we only were allowed to do one away rotation. And historically in orthopedics, you do two, three, four in some places. I'm guessing this was pandemic related. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So we only got to do one. And so I applied to some and my month that was given to me was the month of October. So For the month of September, I did a sports medicine rotation at Loyola and I got to do some primary care sports and some orthopedics. And it was a wonderful month that really affirmed my desire to to work with that patient population. And then I did my away rotation in October, came back and sort of did my required rotations at Loyola and went through some interviews and finished up my match March with the burn ICU, which was oh boy. a great way to keep myself occupied from thinking about match because <laughs> long days. Yeah, I can only imagine. And oh God, what a sad patient population. 
So you talked about, you know, applying to away rotations and then obviously the application process. How do you go about choosing residency programs to apply to? Because there are quite a few. There's so many and it's crazy. It seems that the trend in orthopedics every year is to just almost apply to every single program. Oh my God. Which is, I'm not sure how many of that is, like a hundred and something. So yeah, I think that once you decide that you want to go into orthopedics and you've sort of committed to that, it makes the most sense to identify what are some programs that you're interested in because you will have to apply to away rotations mm-hmm. in the spring of your third year. And you ideally would be able to complete maybe two or three away rotations, you know, sure. sort of affecting that. Uh, and so you want to know what your top three, four, five, six, seven programs are mm-hmm. because the statistics show that you're more likely to match at either your home institution or a place where you've done in a way rotation. So figuring out those places is pretty important to your yeah. success as an applicant. And so for me, I am not from Chicago, but I really enjoy living there. My husband had a great job in Chicago. He loved working there. He works for a college football team, mm-hmm. which is not the easiest industry to work in either. Oh, no. when you're trying to apply to a specialty that could send you anywhere in the country. Right. So we had identified doing an away rotation either in Chicago because it would make the most sense for his employment and us living there. And then a location where he could also find a job. And yeah. so for us, that was actually at Wake Forest where I ended up matching. North Carolina is great for employment for him. Right. He already has a job. Yeah. Yeah. He already got a job within a month of us figuring out that we we're moving here. Which oh, is, gosh. Which is awesome. So Amazing. Yeah, God has provided for us. Certainly. Indeed. But so sort of identifying what programs you're interested in, whether it's for location reasons, family reasons, the reputation of the program, whatever it is you're looking for, doing that in the spring of your third year. And then you're not guaranteed to get an away rotation at the program that you want or even during Mm -hmm. the month that you want. So you have to be a little bit flexible with that. And for me, knowing that I could only do one, I was accepted to the three that I applied to. Mm -hmm. And that was a very tough decision because it almost felt like I was deciding where I'd match right? um, without even having applied to residency yet. And so I, you know, sat on my couch and I cried about it because I didn't know what to do. And uh, it was between a program in Chicago and Wake Forest. And I I said, you know, I'm not from Chicago. I've enjoyed being here, but I think I want to see what it's like outside of Chicago. Yeah. And so I went with my gut and rotated at Wake Forest. Absolutely loved it. So that's great because I'm, I got to be there. Yeah. I'm glad you say you loved it and not (laughs) otherwise. I did. I, I absolutely loved it. I'm really excited to work with all the people there. But yeah, then from there, you talk with some of your advisors about, uh, or your mentors about how many programs you should apply to. And depending on who you ask, they'll all tell you different things. And so at the end of the day, you got to do what you're comfortable with. And I think this year, they've changed the application process to where you can now signal program uh, that you're interested in. And I don't fully understand that. We didn't have that. But it seems as if post-pandemic life, the application cycle changes every year to accommodate for something new. So yeah, so interesting. And I think you're right about the way rotations, especially for competitive specialties like yours about them really being 
likely where you'll match because like you said, you know, especially with grades going past fail and you're kind of like already expected to be a good student, you're probably expected to do some research. It's kind of like what else is there? And it's probably like making those personal connections at institutions where you'd rotate at. Absolutely. Like I had hinted on earlier, relationships are key and people want to know who they're getting. So it's a lot easier to know who they're getting when they've worked with you. It it makes a lot of sense. It's just frustrating too, because there's limitations in your schedule and your finances. And sometimes you don't even know if you're going to like a place until you go. And maybe you rotate there and you decide, wow, this is not what I want. Then maybe they decide the same about you. Like you are not who we want. Yeah. So it was frustrating to only be able to do one, but it's still important. It's a very important decision, especially for competitive specialties. And I recommend that students spend a lot of time discussing it with the mentor. And if they don't have one, they can reach out to me and I will discuss it with them because it's really important. Thanks, Brooke. So you brought up something that I actually haven't asked anyone yet, which is the financial aspect of away rotation. So is that kind of up to the student to figure out like where they'll be living? I mean, obviously you'd be paying like dual rent, right? During your time away. So what's the deal with that? Absolutely. It's a huge burden for a lot of people, not only identifying where they're going to live, but, you know, if it fits in their budget, if they're going to have transportation to and from the hospital, are there scholarships available? So a lot of programs have been offering scholarships and sometimes they're diversity, equity, inclusion scholarships for minority students or Mm -hmm. students who are underrepresented. So for Wake Forest, I was able to apply to one because women are historically underrepresented in orthopedics. And I actually got the scholarship. It was awesome. Awesome. I didn't have to pay for my rotation. And I fortunately had friends who lived in Winston-Salem, college best friends who housed me and it was wonderful. So for me, it worked out really great. But had I done away rotation, you know, somewhere in a city where I didn't have friends and maybe they didn't have a scholarship, I would have been having to pay dual rent and rent a car or drive my car out. So it's something worth considering for students when they think about what programs they're interested in. It's not just, Mm -hmm. oh, I like this program. It fits in my schedule. It's, okay, logistically, are you able to pull this off? And then, you know, are you able to also cover the cost of applying to so many programs? And for us, interviews were virtual, so that wasn't a cost, but perhaps they go back to in-person, then there's even more expenses that you have to take out. And then to compound that, you don't know where you're going to match. So, or if you'll match, where you'll match, you'll have to pay for moving expenses like we did. We had to move to a whole different state and it costs a lot of money to transfer. Oh, yeah. So finances are, that doctor money doesn't quite exist. <laughs> Not quite yet. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. Because like you said, I think it's something a lot of people don't consider. And especially if you think about the states that are higher cost of living, I mean, Chicago being among them, but you're thinking of like California and New York, where rent prices can be just exorbitant. It's definitely something to think about. So you talked about interviews. And I just like to get your take on the virtual interview process, how you feel about that. You know, if there's any tips you'd like to give on interviewing virtually, because you know that for the cycle, they'll continue staying virtual. I don't know if I have any tips that will be useful other than get a ring light, maybe get two. I got two. I liked having two. (laughs) (laughs) I got an external camera, one of those Logitech ones that 
actually was very surprisingly better in quality than my Mac, my 10 year old MacBook camera. So maybe the, the new Macs are better. And then some people spend so much time on what their background should look like. And I even went through a phase where it's like, okay, I'm at Target. Do I buy that fake plant or this fake plant? Or do I <laughs> hang a photo of my family behind me so they'll ask about it? Or you could go through the whole thing. And I ended up going with a blank background. It was just my wall. And I thought that that was perfect. It wasn't distracting. It was, right. it worked for me. And Perhaps other people felt comfortable with items behind them. Personally, I thought it was hilarious when you log on to Zoom and you see all these people with the same target plant in the same <laughs> photo and the same setup, like even on the same side. It was just funny. Like, oh my God. Like everyone went to the same webinar and all copied it. So, I mean, to each their own, but I don't think you need to waste your time <laughs> figuring out your background. And then I thought virtual interviewing was perhaps a disadvantage. From the applicant perspective, I think it's fully advantageous on the financial side for yeah. programs and students, but for identifying traits in a program, I think it's so much better to be there in person Sure, because on Zoom, you can't have any side conversations with the residents. You can't have side conversations with faculty. You can't observe people's body language. You can't identify those little intangible things that are very noticeable in person if you look hard enough. And so I think that that's frustrating from an applicant perspective because you don't know if people are lying to your face. And unfortunately, people do that. So, um, And I'm sure they, they worry about that from the applicant perspective. But, you know, we're in the hot seat. They're not. They have too many applicants for too few spots. So right. it's not their problem. It's ours. Definitely. I think thinking about the virtual versus in-person, like you said, the financial advantage is huge in not having to pay for lodging to so many interviews, especially applying to a competitive specialty. And so you'd probably want to take as many interviews as you can get. But like you said, you lose those side conversations, you lose observing the residents, you know, noticing if they're happy, if they're kind of miserable in the program, um, what's going on. So yeah, I think it's a tough one. And I'll be curious to see how this pans out with the pandemic and whether programs will maybe be offering both virtual and in-person options for students so that we kind of stay equitable while at the same time allowing those students the opportunity to interview in person. Absolutely. Or, you know, offering some sort of visit day where you can come and meet people and it's after programs have already turned in their rank list. So it has no bearing on them ranking you, but perhaps it'll influence how you rank them. Correct. That would be nice. You know, I tried to create some of those days for myself. For a lot of programs, I didn't even reach out and tell them I was coming. I You just showed up. I just showed up and, you know, walked around the facilities wherever I could go, which wasn't very many places because of COVID. Yeah. But just sort of drove around the city or the town or tried to picture myself being there and mm -hmm. spoke to some of the residents either by phone or, you know, had organized a meetup with them at a coffee shop or something. Yeah. And I think it was really helpful because it helped me realize at the end of the day, there are so many things that we think about that should matter when choosing a residency program. And it's easy to get caught up in the, oh, this program's ranked this, or this program pays you this, or, you know, the prestige of it all or whatever it is. But 
if you're not going to be happy there and you can't picture yourself living there and then it doesn't matter how great of a program is. It's not the program for you. Right. <laughs> so I think that instead of getting caught up in the rat race about what's this program going to offer me or what's it going to bring me? It's like, no, what do I bring to this program mm-hmm. and how does it fit into my priorities and my desires for how I want my experience to be? I think that's great advice for sure. Because like you said, every person is different. Their expectations are probably different. What they want out of the training is different. And so it's important to reflect and see how you fit into the program. And again, it's a two-way street, right? What the program gives to you in terms of training and what you bring to the program. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as students applying to a competitive specialty, we'd like to think what an honor it is to be interviewed by some Mm -hmm. of these programs and what an honor it is to be considered. Yeah, that's true. It, It is a tremendous honor. But at the same time, you got to sort of have the confidence or the swagger of, no, what an honor it is for these programs to interview me. What a blessing it is for them to see the hard work and the contributions and the value that I could bring to them. Yeah. And so from that perspective, it's I've never worked in sales, but it's almost like you are the product and you have to sell yourself and mm-hmm. you don't have to be disingenuous about it. You don't have to lie, but you have to wholly believe in yourself and communicate the value that you bring. And as med students, we are convinced that we don't have value a lot of the time because everyone tells us we're wrong or we don't know the answer or we're constantly not the smartest person in the room. But when it's interview day, like, no, you got to turn it on. Like you have a lot of value to bring and you tell them that. (laughs) Awesome. So to wrap up the interview, just a few more questions. Do you have any general advice for pre-meds or current medical students early in their training as they move through their training? I know you already mentioned, you know, exploring the specialty a little bit, but maybe you can expand on that. Sure. For students considering medicine, it's not something you go into because it's easy. Or the cool thing to do. Yeah, there are easier things to do that don't require as much of your time and energy. But it's something that you can go into because you find it fulfilling and rewarding. And Mm -hmm. that's what's brought me here. And I think that's what brings a lot of people. And it's something that will continually humble you almost every day, perhaps multiple times a day, because you realize that there are so many unanswered questions and there are always going to be more things that you don't know. And so learning, one, that that's a fact, and two, It's okay to ask for help and it's okay to know that you can't do it alone is perhaps the most important thing that I learned in college when I was struggling and I learned again in med school and I'm sure I will continue to learn it throughout residency and beyond. (laughs) We are social people. We are not meant to do things alone. We need to be in a community of others. We need to lift them up and we need to allow them to lift us up. Even Mm -hmm. if we're strong and capable, we need help. And then The next important thing is realizing that medical school is something that you do, but being a medical student isn't who you are. It's not your identity. Your identity should never be your career or your student status, whatever it is. Like, sure, I'm going to be an orthopedic surgery resident. Orthopedic surgery is what I will do, but that will not be who I am as a person. Like, I'm a wife. I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. You're a homeowner. (laughs) Yeah, I am now a homeowner. That's exciting to say. Uh, Which, yeah, another conversation about finances. (laughs) But yeah, exactly. Like, don't let 
being a medical student or being a resident define you because mm-hmm. you're so much more than that. And there's so much more to your life than just what you do and finding time and space and people who remind you of that and allow you space to remember that and really build up those parts of you that define who you are outside of your work is really important. And I've been fortunate to have a husband who helps, you know, remind me of my value and my worth and he's not medicine at all. So, you know, I love coming home because we don't have to talk about it we talk about football plays or <laughs> who got traded where whatever it is because uh, his job is so much cooler <laughs> yeah, it's great I mean ideally I think it'd be cool to work together like you know he's coaching football and you're on the sidelines yeah you know maybe he's got some athletes that are injured and I'd like to think our only marital conflicts will be him wanting them to return to play before I decide that they're ready to, to I love that and I think that's such great advice because a lot of us getting in this rut kind of of, oh, everything's so competitive. You know, I just have to do my best. And you do kind of lose yourself a little bit in making medicine your whole life. And I think that's really difficult because then if something in that part of your life happens that derails you a little bit, you attach your worth to it. And that's not a good place to be. So like you said, important to stay grounded and remind yourself of all the other things that make you, you and continue to partake in whatever hobbies or interests you have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, my Christian faith is really important to who I am. And I know that regardless of my performance in the classroom or whether it's on the soccer field or whatever it is that I am valuable and I'm worthy and I, and I am whole without my achievements that are recognized by the world. And so while I struggle with that, when I don't live up to my expectations, I can have peace in that. And so I think that's been a big part of my experience. And I think it's a big part of other people's experiences. So finding something like that to keep you grounded is so, so, so important. And we need other people to help us when we forget. Yeah, 100%. So because you offered, what's the best way for people to reach you if they have questions? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to respond to emails. My email is my first and last name. So Brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E, Dickens, D-I-C-K-E-N-S, M-D at gmail.com. That's my new my new email going forward. How exciting. I absolutely love it. Thanks so much for your time, Brooke, tonight. Really appreciate you coming on as your days off before residency come to an end, uh, taking this time to share your wisdom with students. Thanks so much for having me, Rasa. It's always so fun to chat with you. Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, please submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relation is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Views and opinions are their own and do not represent any organization.